Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. What's up, saucerheads? This is Ryan Sprague from the Somewhere in the Skies podcast, and I have an exclusive offer for you to come join me at AlienCon Los Angeles. AlienCon brings together UFO researchers, the stars of ancient aliens, and science fiction fan favorites. But most importantly, it brings us all together as like-minded people to talk about these topics. I'll be giving lectures and taking part in numerous panel discussions with some of the most popular UFO and unexplained podcasts out there today. And don't forget to check out live podcast recordings of Somewhere in the Skies and Unknown, hosted by Jason McClellan. It's going to be a jam-packed weekend you won't soon forget, and you get to be a part of. The event is June 21st, 22nd, and 23rd at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Tickets are on sale right now at TheAliencon.com. And if you use the promo code SKIES at checkout, you'll get an exclusive discount on all tickets. Again, use the promo code SKIES. For guest info, special offers, full schedule, and tickets, visit TheAliencon.com. And I'll see you there. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. This week, we continue our remembrance of Stanton Friedman with television and film writer Bryce Sable. He returns to the show to talk about his memories of Stanton Friedman, having worked very closely with him on two movie scripts, one directly concerning the life and career of Friedman himself. We get a different side of Stanton in this interview, hearing about his personal life outside of the UFO field. It's a conversation that adds to what will be the rich legacy of a physicist-turned-ufologist, Stan T. Friedman. Then, Bryce and I chat all about his own personal contributions to Hollywood and UFOs, some strange tales of possible men in black attempting to influence his television series, Dark Skies. And then we chat all about his thoughts on the current happenings with To The Stars Academy, and if we're truly on the horizon of UFO disclosure. Here's our conversation with Bryce Sable. Bryce, thank you so much for joining me once again on Somewhere in the Skies. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you, and and uh, we should note for the listening audience that we're doing this in the morning. And uh, I was just thinking, which is which is very interesting because a lot of times interviews about UFOs are always at night. So I'm preconditioned to think this is something you do after dark. So I'm really <laughs> happy to be talking to you in the bright morning. Absolutely. What better way to wake up with a cup of coffee and talk all about flying saucers? And also, it, it's kind of uh, symbolic of the mainstreaming of ufology, which is taking place now and, and something that needs to happen. We need to take it out of the dark. And put it into the light. So there we are. We're very trend-setting right now. I love that, man. I love that analogy. And you know what? We're going to get to UFOs in the mainstream. Uh, but first, the real sort of reason I wanted to talk to you today is, unfortunately, we lost one of the most influential UFO researchers to ever be a part of our field. That is Stan Friedman. And I don't know about you, but this news, it sort of came to a shock to me when I when I first heard it. I didn't believe it until it was unfortunately confirmed. But before we get to you know your direct ties to him concerning your projects with him and everything, could you maybe give us a little snapshot of who Stanton Friedman was to you and uh, what he meant to you? Well, I think Stanton Friedman means 
to to all of us and the know in, who have studied this issue a titan of of the history of the the research into the flying saucer phenomenon and i should point out stanton friedman liked to call them flying saucers mm-hmm. not ufo's he felt that uh, the things he was interested in studying were the ones that were flying saucers, not not the unidentified ones that could be planes or planets or whatever. Uh, Stanton is a, is a huge loss for us, but I think we saw it coming. He had a heart attack a couple of years ago, and uh, I think what's interesting uh, about uh, Stanton leaving us uh, – so dramatically by dying literally at the airport, he was coming back from one of his lectures. And he had said he was going to try to retire. And maybe he had scaled back a little bit, but he was still at it. I think Stanton Friedman will go down in history about at the level of, say, uh, J. Allen Hynek. I mean, he, he was, he was someone who was dedicated for a lifetime to this and, and existed at a very high level of the conversation. And I, I think that we should all just acknowledge though, the main contribution that Stanton made besides his just tireless talking to people about the topic and trying to bring it into the mainstream, the main contribution Stanton Friedman has made is he was the man who found Jesse Marcel back in 1978. He's the man who brought Roswell to the public's attention. And it got a little confused over the years, but it was Stanton Friedman. So we have to we have to give him credit for that. And and it's a big credit. Absolutely. I mean, for those who don't know, the only reason we're talking about Roswell, like you said, is because of him. Without his dogged research and tracking down witnesses, you know, where would we be, Bryce? I I honestly think this case could have just faded into obscurity. But but now it's the biggest thing ever. It is, but also luck. I mean, yeah, in '78, yeah. Stanton Friedman was was sitting in a coffee shop at a television station when someone uh, who he had been there talking about uh, flying saucers, and somebody said, "You know, you really ought to call." So I, it's all it's all about kismet and karma and being in the right place at the right time. And it, for Stanton, it was about being um, ready to cancel his plane flight and to. <laughs> get in a, his rental car and drive out to see that guy. And and th- those are things that we have to give him credit for. I think the, the thing I wanted to just uh, mention here is that we all have a pretty, uh, I, I guess it's pretty one-dimensional view of Stanton because we know him for the public Stanton, uh, the man who, uh, as, as I said, spoke at a number of uh, conferences over the years. In fact, most people who have seen him, if there's any knock on what Stanton did at the conferences, as he had his talking points, and he pretty well stuck to them. Oh, he yeah. was not the guy that was always coming up with, oh my God, I have to see him, you know, I have to see him in St. Louis, because who knows what he'll say this time. He, he tended to stick to the script. But uh, the thing that I thought was uh, extraordinarily interesting about Stanton in in interviewing him at at length for one of these projects, which we'll talk about later, but I got to know his personal life. It was important for me to create a timeline uh, of Stanton's life, and so we literally spent about thirty hours going through his his uh, whole life story, and. Here's an interesting thing, uh, just a little factoid. We all know that Stanton Friedman has probably had you know thousands of articles written about him in his travails across the world talking about flying saucers. But I doubt very many people realize that one of the very early articles about him in 1963 was Ladies Home Journal writing about <laughs> Stanton because he and his wife, uh, who his first wife, uh, Susie, who was 15 years older than him, um, and she had been married three times, they had uh, – Stanton had adopted her children. And uh, they had adopted another child. So it was an article about adoption that Stanton Friedman was featured in, in Ladies Home Journal. He was a man with a big heart. I I thought he had a really good sense of humor. Uh, He had great perspective on uh, himself. And uh, he would probably have argued with you, well, I'm not really that important. I've done a few things here. But but we all know that he'd have been missing the mark because he was hugely important. But but I think Stanton would be uh, also interested. I just got through reading his New York Times obituary, and I think 
it proves that even though the New York Times is the newspaper uh, that that broke uh, this story, uh, the current story we're talking about so much these days with the ATIP and mm-hmm. so forth uh, in in this, in 2017, they still wrote a rather they they turned over Stanton's obituary to someone who basically was very skeptical of flying saucers and made the usual jokes and that kind of thing and. And I, I think that's too bad. I, I hope that uh, the future will give us a chance to reevaluate Stanton and so many other people. And let's face it, once disclosure is full and, and ongoing, the history of this whole story will be, ha- will be revised and Stanton will play a big role in it. I hope so, man. And I mean, that's one of the other big reasons that I wanted to have you on specifically, because you had that inside look at Stan Friedman that many of us never saw. And this came in the form of two very interesting projects that you were working on with him. So I was wondering, would you mind maybe running us through what these projects are and what it was like getting to know him beyond the whole UFO thing, like you said? Sure. I think uh, I'll I'll tell you just what the projects are and then I'll I'll try to I'll try to spin it toward the Stanton thing cuz I I Great. agree with you it's time for us to to give him his due and I and I, nobody wants to do that more than me. So I first met Stanton Friedman uh, back in uh, the 90s when I was doing an NBC series called Dark Skies and I was in a reading mode so I uh, not only was I writing a lot back then but I was also reading a lot and I had reached out to Stanton and optioned his book Top Secret Magic and uh, gotten to know him uh, a little bit during that time and we kept in touch on a professional level at that point me trying to set up his his book and not i i I was never able to do that with uh at that time but then a few years later flash forward a few years later and i reached i i I got this idea it would be an interesting film to tell the story of the competition to break the roswell story Mm -hmm. because even though stanton friedman ran the first lap of that uh he then also went off and got involved in the magic uh, Majestic 12 documents and, and, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. So other researchers came in, notably Don Schmidt at the time and, um, Kevin Randall, and they challenged him on the Roswell thing. And for people that lived through ufology in the nineties, it was, it was like, uh, Trump and Pelosi going at each other. <laughs> it, it was crazy because most of the world didn't think that Roswell didn't know anything about Roswell. And if they did know anything, didn't think it was real. And then you had uh, Stanton and Don Schmidt going at each other over this. So I thought, what an interesting thing. So I optioned Stanton's life story, Don Schmidt's life story, and Schmidt's witness to Roswell and Stanton's top secret magic and kind of put them into the blender or the atom collider and, and tried to come up with a movie. Now, the Stanton angle on that is that I really wanted to dig a little deeper. I wanted this to be the spoonful of sugar uh, movie that could get people to really take Roswell seriously. So in other words, I wanted the characters of Stanton and and Don to stand out and to have the Roswell thing, uh, a, a very important part of the film, but but something that would cause people to go maybe want to read more, but they'd enjoy the characters. Mm-hmm. So I needed to talk to these guys. So I, Stanton and I spent, as I said, about 30 hours, but I was building a timeline, I, I, you know, starting from, okay, when were you born? Where were you born? What hospital were you born in? Uh, what's the UFO, first UFO book you ever read? That kind of thing. Uh, just went, went over it and, uh, and, and over it with him and, and learned all kinds of things uh, that, make me smile about him. He was, I had to drag it out of him. I'll be honest with you. He was not comfortable talking about himself. He wanted to talk about flying saucers, but, um, I, but he also understood, um, that a film is, is essentially telling a person's story, uh, as opposed to the story of, of the event. So we talked and I, interesting things popped up. Like he was classmates with Carl Sagan, uh, when he went to college, I thought that was pretty interesting. Just imagine uh, a class with a, a, you know, two college students, one of whom is young Stanton Friedman and the other is young Carl. In fact, that's the movie we should make. We should make the movie of Stanton and Carl in college. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Very interesting. Um, and by the way, the first UFO book he ever read was, uh, uh, Rappel, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Ruppelt, mm-hmm. um, 
That's his right. blue book. Uh, he read that. That was his first thing that got him really, really going. And, um, you know, he, he, he really didn't start lecturing until 64, uh, 1964. So if you think about it, he, he got a pretty good run of lecturing in, uh, 50 some years. Wow. Uh, he was, he was talking about this. So I, th- I think part of the contribution that Stan made that you're referring to, Ryan, is that just by lasting longer, you know, he did make it to 84. He and he continued to talk all the way through. So many people uh, had the Stanton Friedman experience and they, they heard what he had to say. And uh, and, and I th- think it was very helpful to the the movement, if you will, that a, a man who was as bright as Stanton and who was a nuclear physicist, which he was happy to tell people, and he should, because he couldn't be dismissed as easily. It's it's very interesting that a person like that kept at it all those years, and he changed more than a few minds, and that is important. And he was fearless. When Ted Koppel put him on Nightline, uh, Stanton just put his head down and went in and and suffered the slings and arrows, but managed to get his point across. Also here in Washington is Stanton Friedman, a physicist who has been involved in nuclear space and research for such companies as General Electric, Westinghouse, and General Motors. Mr. Friedman, there are books, there are magazine articles, there are television interview programs which have very little time such as this one give it your best shot if you are seeking to convince the skeptical what do you point to i'm seeking to convince the healthy agnostics the skeptics don't want to listen to the data in my findings i point to the 2400 plus landing trace cases physical changes in the environment collected from 65 countries i point to the 3200 cases in project blue book special report 14 20 percent of which couldn't be explained and are all the characteristics we attribute to flying saucers I point to the 3,500 pilot sightings collected by a NASA scientist on the West Coast. I point to Bud Hopkins' 140 abductees with a waiting list of 200 and an enormous amount of data in the form of documents, uh, some of them obtained from the government directly, some not so directly, uh, clearly indicating that our planet is being visited, that some UFOs are alien spacecraft, and that we are indeed dealing with a cosmic water gate. So I've always had a lot of great respect for what he did, and and um, and I don't think we'll ever forget him. And in fact, I I'm very hopeful that I can get this film made, and that will give uh, the world another chance to reevaluate who he was. The name of the film, by the way, is simply The Crash, uh, and it's the story of uh, what happened at Roswell and Stanton and Don. Um, uh, competing for it. Uh, the other project uh, that you mentioned is is called Captured, and that's based on the book that was written by Kathy Marden, who is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, or Betty Hill. She's the niece of Betty Hill, mm-hmm. and and it was co-written with Stanton Friedman. So I've spent a lot of time talking to Stanton about that, and I thought that was interesting because Stanton uh, is was historically more of a cautious person that didn't like to uh, say more than was there. Right. So he would he would uh, stick to uh, nuts and bolts cases as much as possible. And it was very hard to get him to speculate. He was that was not something he was into. And certainly he didn't seem to want to speculate about abductions. But then he wrote the story of Betty and Barney Hill. And he obviously uh, came to believe that there was a very good case. And just as an aside on this matter of abductions, at one point I said to Stanton, okay, I've just read my fifth Whitley Strieber book. Um, What do you think about this guy? Is he telling the truth? Has Whitley Strieber been abducted? And he thought about this for – it must have been a couple of minutes before he he spoke. You could just – it was kind of interesting just watching a quiet Stanton Friedman. It was like your computer is hung up and processed. Buffering. And then after, yeah, it was Stan was just buffering for a couple <laughs> of minutes, and then uh, he says, "Well, I think that he has been abducted at least once." All right, that was his take, and I think that he also thought that he just that that Whitley was too good of a writer and and maybe just ran with it on some other stuff. Mm, interesting. Uh, Interesting, you know. I mean, but but that's the kind of thing. I literally have a uh, 
a 30-page timeline of Stanton Friedman's life uh, in, in front of me. Um, and it's, it, it's, it was a life well-lived, a man uh, who, uh, you know, he was married twice. He uh, had some tragedy in his life in that a couple of his children died right. before he did. Um, and, and he was, uh, in many respects, stoic about that kind of thing. He, uh, one of the one of the things that struck me is that in the midst of his doing this incredible work, uh, you know, trying to validate the Majestic 12 documents, he had a son die um, of AIDS during that time. And, uh, uh, you know, and this was when AIDS was uh, was brand new on the scene mm-hmm. in the 80s. And, uh, that, you know, a, a tough a tough life. Uh, and he he had his share of sadness and disappointment, as we all do in our lives, and he still managed to to carry on and to carry the flag for openness on the topic of UFOs. So congratulations to him, and we'll miss him. Absolutely, man. I mean, it really puts things into perspective. As one of the younger, I guess, UFO researchers out there, I mean, he was the reason I got into this. I read Crash of Corona, and my life changed after that. I found out flying saucers were crashing on our planet. No matter what they were, or what people speculated, or uh, what actually crashed in Roswell, uh, it sent me on this path, as I know it has many other people. And, you know, I had the rare opportunity to see him give his last lecture in Canada a couple oh. of years ago and um you know I will never forget that so for someone like me and these these people coming into the field fresh and young uh to look at someone like Stan and see that you can you can have a life outside of ufology as well. I think that's very important, too, is getting to that human side of this man who uh, most of us know through UFOs. So, if anything, I'm glad that we know more about him other than UFOs and that uh, you are still going on with this project. You know, it's going to oh. be hard when one of your protagonists finally leaves this mortal coil. Well, I, I'll were. tell you what's hardest about it, Ryan, is just that... Uh, uh, Many times I, I had to explain to Stan. Now this is a movie. You know, I let him read the script at one time, and I said, "Now this is a movie, and don't don't get offended or anything, but right. don't think of this character that you read called Stan is is you exactly. He's a hundred and eighty percent of you. That's how I would put it. <laughs> and and he took it in good stride. And his only thing to me was, "Look, I understand. Uh, you know how movies are are made and all that." He said, "Just hurry up and get this thing done so I can see it." And so. I think that I have a special sadness over that, that I was unable to accomplish that in his lifetime. But it doesn't stop me uh, from wanting to finish it uh, as his part of his legacy. And and if you think about it, it is kind of a study. Uh, it does. There is a natural warmth and comedy in the whole thing. If if you think about Stan and, and Don Schmidt, Don Schmidt, we all know, is is. You know, very. You know, he's he's a smooth guy. Yeah, he yeah. trims his beard. He combs his hair. He looks. He, you know, he puts on a nice suit and it's always fitted. And he's working out. You know, there's so there's Don and then there's Stan who was just kind of, you know, kind of a wild man <laughs> with the wild eyebrows and the bushy beard and and, you know, he just marched to his own drum and he didn't. Uh, you know, he wasn't trying to impress you. Uh, in any way. He was just trying to convince you that he was right about these things. So what I found, I'll tell you that one of the things that first got me to say, this has got to be a movie, is that I was talking to Stanton, and he said um, that what had happened in the 90s, and these were brutal comments these two guys were mm-hmm. making about each other. I mean, if to read them now, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, it, and, but it was good. I mean, it was, they were thrashing out an issue. Uh, it, it was uh, sort of the, the um, to the stars academy of its time, you know, where some people <laughs> take one side and some people take the other. And, and yeah. so they were, they were fighting about these two sides. And what I thought was astonishingly interesting is no researcher makes a lot of money. Let's face it. That's not it. And nobody who writes UFO books makes a lot of money. No, yep. we just all know that to be a fact, even though some people pretend otherwise, but they, they were, they were living hand to mouth, but trying to be devoted to their Roswell research, which relied on the kindness of strangers. So along comes in the nineties after these two guys are in in, going at each other, hammer and tongs for, for years, they get an offer 
to fund for a further round of research, but it involves them working together. So Stanton and Don, who are these bitter enemies at this point, end up driving around in a rental car and staying in motels together. <laughs> and I just thought, if that's not a movie, if that's not if that doesn't give you something to write, I don't know what does. So so hopefully when people see it, they'll get they'll see the you'll see Stan as a, as the warm human being that he was, flaws and all. And you'll also see him for the tenacious researcher he was. And 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 let's. Let's be uh, serious about that. He was tenacious, uh, particularly on the Majestic 12 documents. Uh, it's hard to you know, go to all these different places and go through all these documents mm -hmm. and to study whether it's pica or elite typeface that's being used and, uh, and when somebody first started using pica. And you know, all that stuff, that minutia, it, which is what an investigative reporter does. And I've always looked at it this way. What Stanton Friedman did for Roswell, for Majestic 12 documents, for, for – um, just uh, the study of UFOs in general is something that, frankly, uh, Woodward and Bernstein should have been doing. Right. And since since Woodward and Bernstein and every other establishment investigative reporter seem to be taking a pass on this these, this topic that we're also interested in, Stanton w stepped into the breach and did that work, and he did it well. I mean, I'm I'm also uh, you know in my early pre-Hollywood life was an investigative reporter. And, and, um, and I got to tell you, and I, you know, I studied broadcast journalism at the University of Oregon. So I know a little bit about it. And I will tell you, his methods uh, were top notch. And um, his doggedness to persevere, even after he's run out of money and he's run out of time was phenomenal. So just a lot about the man, um, is worthy of emulation and not the least of which is just when you when you see that something is needs to be done you you set your brain on doing it and you just pay the price to get it done and it did have a price for him i mean obviously uh his his two wives uh both had to put up with a guy that was as dogged as stan friedman but they loved him anyway so Absolutely. There you go. I couldn't agree more, Bryce. And I mean, this this accurate portrayal of Stan in the work you're doing, uh, I think is important and essential. And it kind of reminds me of uh, the recent TV show that came out. And I'd love to get your perspective on this working in Hollywood, uh, sure. Project Blue Book. Now, mm. here's another big icon in our field, J. Allen Hynek, now on television on a weekly basis. Right. You know, they got their season two pickup, and uh, who knows where it's going to go from there. But I got to ask, man, what do you think about how uh, J. Allen Hynek has been portrayed on the, uh, the History Channel? Well, I'm conflicted uh, because I do this for a living uh, myself. And so as a consequence, I don't want to be too critical of the decisions other people have made. So uh, w without Without wagging a finger at anybody, let's just state the fact that J. Allen Hynek of Project Blue Book bears precious little resemblance to the actual J. Allen Hynek mm -hmm. and, and what work he did on Blue Book. It's, it's, it's moved around a lot. There's a lot of dramatic license. But on the other hand, look, I've, I'm going to be taking dramatic license uh, with this movie about uh, Roswell and, and uh, even with the, the story about Betty and Barney Hill. And in fact, I have a movie coming out next year about uh, the, the true story of the last battle of World War II. It's called The Last Battle. And I only bring it up to say that over the course of time, the film that will be made uh, will not be the exact truth about The Last Battle. It'll be pretty good. It'll be in the right world and it'll be a fabulous film. But if people want to know the truth, they're going to have to go read that book. So uh, circling back to Heineck and Blue Book, uh, to the extent the Project Blue Book and the History Channel have uh, brought more people's attention to the real story of Blue Book and the real story of Heineck, that's fantastic. I only am concerned, and again, I, I, I don't want to be the pot calling the kettle black, but mm. – I'm only concerned that there are lots and lots of people when they hear about this popular new series who tune in and all they'll ever know is about Blue Book is what they see on the air. And all they'll ever know about J. Allen Hynek is what they see on the air. And uh, that's too bad. 
because the the actual story and uh, uh, of of Heineck and Blue Book is fascinating, and and does by the way wrap into the two other individuals we've talked about. Uh, obviously, um, Stan was very uh, moved by much of what he read in Blue Book, and uh, uh, I, you know, one of the things that he he was most uh, one of the things that he talked about to the end of his days was Blue Book Special Report 14. So if anyone is uh, wants to understand, go read that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Don Schmidt, of course, um, knew and worked for J. Allen Hynek, and uh, Hynek was like a mentor to Don Schmidt. Uh, and interestingly enough, and apropos of your question, toward the end of J. Allen Hynek's life, according to Don. Uh, I think he was being wheeled into a surgery the way the story goes. And one of the things that uh, Heineck said was, why won't they tell me even now? Wow. That's quote. Why won't they tell me even now? So if that's the true state of J. Allen Heineck as he uh, faces his own mortality, then I then obviously the J. Allen Hynek of Project Blue Book, who seems to be running into dead bodies and crash wreckage and abduction victims and, you know, a lot of the stuff that's already in season one, uh, that w- that didn't happen uh, in, a, in the way that it, it did because Heineck was always kept at arm's length. Uh, and uh, Rumsfeld even, um, uh, I believe, according to Don Schmidt, Heineck was in uh, – Rumsfeld, before he was uh, the Secretary of Defense that we remember him as mm-hmm. during the Iraq War, Donald Rumsfeld was also the Secretary of Defense briefly in 1976, I believe, for Gerald Ford. And Heineck was in his office and demanded to be brought – and this is 76. And remember, Blue Book, as you're watching it on TV, is in 52, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Heineck is in there in 76 demanding to know more. And uh, Rumsfeld famously had a standing desk. And he comes around his standing desk and just gets in Heineck's face and says, don't you ever come in here and talk to me like that again. Don't you ever bring this up again. Wow. Yeah, see, I mean, you can't write that stuff. You really- yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. <laughs> so uh, David O'Leary is a friend of mine. I, uh, I we had lunch when his show got picked up. He's a terrific guy, great writer. I, I do know that uh, there are certain you know when uh, when writers come into contact with studios and networks, quite often executives will who don't know anything about the topic uh, will say, "Well, here's the way I see it," and they'll start to treat it like it's just. Um, a fictitious character, mm-hmm. you know? So here's what I would have this Heineck guy do. And so you, the argument would be, well, but Heineck didn't do that. Yeah, I know, but this is a TV series and this is better. So they're trying to improve on history and, and I get it because I do it myself. I think it's a spectrum. Uh, if you, if you, if you look at the spectrum of adherence to truth uh, versus uh, dramatic license, uh, I think you kind of want to try to hit the sweet spot. Yeah. You want to you want to take enough dramatic license that you make a great project. And that's got to be first because nobody's going to give you millions of dollars to make a movie that they think is going to fail. 
So you have to you have to make the customer satisfied, if you will. Uh, but at the same time, your job as someone who is the writer of a true story is to at least get the essence of it right. Yep, I, I hear you, man. And I keep telling people it goes for your films and it goes for Project Blue Book. Like these are not documentaries. These, no. you know, that, and we have to remember that. So, uh, I really, I really appreciate getting your perspective on that whole thing because I know a lot of people were up in arms about Blue Book, and there will always be those people out there. But uh, the fact that these things are getting out to the mainstream is more exciting than anything. And uh, you had your major brush in the mainstream when it came to uh your television sh- series and that was uh, dark skies and i gotta ask yeah. you i remember hearing you tell a story about a two mysterious incidents i should say that took place during the development Very. of the show would you mind running us through those well i mean the thing is we all have this happen to us we have people say hey uh, did you ever have you ever seen a ufo mm-hmm. and i have to say no and then they say hey have you ever are you an experiencer were you abducted no um but I have had a couple of experiences that put me in close uh, in a close encounter with something that looked like a cover up. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, people don't cover up things if there's nothing to cover up. So you sort of can intuit uh, what what we're facing by these two stories. So, I, and and I've told these stories before, and I don't want to spend all your time, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you the short versions. And cool. and and also. Um, Robbie Graham, a friend of ours, um, has written a really nice uh, explanation of the details of these things in in a Mysterious Universe article. But here's what happened. We had shot the, you know, Dark Skies, for those who haven't seen it, it's out on DVD if you want to see it. But uh, it was a television series in the 90s dedicated to the it was a period ufo piece so the whole concept was jfk in the pilot jfk was assassinated because he was going to tell the truth about ufos in his second term so that's kind of the story it was and then we wound uh real people and real events in with ufo and ufological events okay so we finished that pilot and uh, we get picked up to series and we're having a big party at my house, about 200 people at the, the house. And uh, they're the casting crew, basically. And no one has seen the show yet. Uh, we've cut it. We've submitted it to the network in the studio. But generally speaking, not even the people in the casting crew have seen it. They're mm. coming out. And we're going to air it. And everybody got a little magic badge, M-A-J-I-C, you know, because we are – Majestic 12 was a sort of a character location in the show. And so we all had our little fake magic badges, except there's this one guy in the backyard uh, who doesn't have one. And I don't know who he is. I know everybody else in my backyard, but I don't know this guy. And he's talking to my uh, partner, Brent Friedman. And this guy looks to be, you know, 30, uh, blue sport coat, khaki pants, kind of preppy kind of thing. And he basically has is telling Brent that he's from Naval Intelligence, okay? And that they've seen our show and they think it's really good, but they that we could use some help and they're prepared to help us. Okay. And so Brent's like, "What?" Uh, well, first of all, how did you see it? Well, you don't need to know about that. Uh, <laughs> well, what 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 do you want us to So, I I joined this, but I'm in the middle of hosting a party with 200 people, so I don't have a lot of attention on this. But the guy has scribbled for Brent on a napkin uh, some kind of mathematical formula, and uh, that napkin no longer exists, uh, at least in my sphere of things. But And I, I said, what is this? And he goes, secret of the universe, sound, light, and frequency. Uh, and we're like, okay. Um, and – I didn't have time to deal with this, and I wasn't really – I think the guy could tell I wasn't really happy to have somebody crashing my party because I figured, like, this he's not really naval intelligence, and it's some kind of bullshit thing, and, and I don't know why he's here. And so he took his leave. He said, you know, nice meeting you guys. Uh, you know, I'll be in touch. Well, he was in touch, and he uh, he's – called Brent up, uh, I believe, the next day and said, listen, um, I know Bryce is skeptical. What if I bring uh, you know, my boss in and we'll talk to you at the office? Mm-hmm. So Brent scheduled it. So suddenly in the middle of the day, I'm told, hey, that guy from your party, uh, he's there with his boss and they're in the conference room. 
So uh, <laughs> we go to talk to these two guys. And I have to say, these are not fanboys. They're not the 400-pound guy in the basement uh, on his computer that Trump talked about. They're not that kind of guy. These are lean, muscular, military-bearing kind of guys. Okay. And they're not there to kiss up to us. They're actually the old, the other guy who's about forty something is actually kind of dismissive of us. You could sort of see he's like, you know, I wish I didn't have to be here talking to you, boneheads, but but here I am. And they laid out an entire scenario for what was going on uh, in the whole UFO world that was quite detailed. And if it was done to hoax, Brent and I, somebody put you know, many, many hours into the creating this hoax. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in the center of a multiplayer role-playing game, to be <laughs> honest with you. And literally the same thing occurred after a couple of hours of this, where I, I have to say, I didn't see these guys as fakers or hoaxers. They seemed pretty straightforward to me. And, and again, you got to be pretty confident of your hoax. If you can be, irritated with the guy you're hoaxing i mean it was just it was just really interesting but at the at the end of the, a couple hours i said guys to be honest with you i i gotta go uh i've got a show to run and i don't think the network or the studio once gives a damn whether i'm talking to you guys or not they want me just to make the show okay final piece of this uh so they left final piece of it is that the next day uh, and Brent was sort of the, the go-between here. This guy calls Brent and says, um, okay, look, I hope that, that what we talked about yesterday was helpful to you guys, but I can see that you want the full treatment. You really want in. And uh, Brent said, well, you know, yeah. No, if, if, if you've got a way to prove who you are uh, in a better way, yeah, that would be great. Okay, here's what they proposed. I'm not making this up because it always makes people – laughed that it's like, are you kidding? But this actually happened. He said, well, look, uh, the big guy is on a ship in Long Beach, which frankly makes sense from a naval point of view. And if you want to meet him, he's prepared to meet with you. Uh, but we have to do this in a slightly different way. He's prepared to meet with you. The meeting will happen on Friday at midnight in a cemetery. And, I, you know, listen, um, I thought... Uh, my first take was uh, this is some kind of cult initiation or something. Brent's take was that there was something buried in the cemetery they, they wanted to show us. Oh, no. I, I don't know. But what I ended up saying was, you know what? I'm done here. Um, I've got three children, and I'm not meeting anybody uh, in a cemetery at midnight. So we're done here. And I never saw them again. I mean, that's that's a movie within itself, man. It is, well, in fact, I'll be honest with you. What Brent and I were talking about is we thought, wouldn't it be an interesting television series literally to do it from our point of view? And it's and, and the question would be, what happens if you go to the cemetery? Yeah. Right. You know, what What does happen? I mean, do you get killed? Do you get – do they dig up a piece of Roswell footage? What yeah. do they do? I mean – but, you know, again, I'm, I'm a father of three, and I, I just thought it's irresponsible of me as a parent to put myself at that kind of risk. So I just took a pass. I completely understand that, Bryce. I mean, however, well, I would have sent you to the cemetery at midnight if we'd known each other back then. I will, I will be your scapegoat for that one for sure. And I just want you to know uh, that there was, you know, memory fades. I have this written down, but there were a lot of details. I mean, yeah. this, none of this was. This, I mean, in two hours, these two guys told us a lot of details. Now, uh, and, and they were not details that I was, you know, the Internet was not as full of stuff uh, as it is today. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had not heard of a lot of these details. They, so um, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah. they were making them up. Maybe they weren't. Uh, maybe it was disinformation. Maybe they were the real guys and it was disinformation. I mean, Brent and I have played this over in our heads many times over the years to try to figure out what, what was going on. Well, I mean, Bryce, that that really ties into the article that you mentioned that Robbie Graham wrote and this whole idea of you know, the government or the military getting involved with Hollywood. I mean, ha have you ever heard any other stories about these sort of things happening where they try to pump disinformation into these these sort of projects? I mean, uh, not 
to the direct level that that I feel this story rises to. Now, of course, we've all heard the stories about you know Reagan talking to Spielberg and mm-hmm. and people, you know, those kind of stories. But this was kind of. I mean, obviously, this I, I, I doubt anybody told Spielberg he had to go to a Long Beach cemetery <laughs> at midnight. Um, so, no, I, I actually haven't heard of anything quite this direct. Mm-hmm. But I, I will just to set the table, um, NBC had invested heavily in Dark Skies, and it was a big show for them. And uh, they were making it the centerpiece of what they called their Saturday Night Trilogy. So we were the 8 o'clock show, then there's a 9 and a 10. So we were the anchor uh, to the whole night, and we were expected to be a big show. Uh, X-Files was also on at that time. So there was just a feeling that um, this was going to be a big one. And, and of course, uh, you, until the audience actually watches or doesn't watch something, you're, you're full of a lot of expectations. So it wouldn't surprise me that somebody who was part of managing UFO perception for somebody would have, would have been dialed into this. And even though it, it, the show had not aired, people with connections probably could have got a copy of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were, if you were seriously wired into the who's doing what on the inside and you needed to see a copy of the dark skies pilot, you know, it had been around for a few months, so it's possible, but they were very detailed about it. I mean, in other words, they didn't just show up and say, yeah, we, you know, tell us about your pilot. No, they told us about our pilot. They, (laughs) they told us what was in our pilot, what they liked and what they didn't like. That's very interesting. So they definitely had at least someone on the inside who was able to get them the script. So Somehow. Yeah. Wow. You have to be a skeptic, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's quite possible that, uh, I guess, somebody in Hollywood had a assistant who was a friend who loaned them this and they made a copy or whatever. And then somebody decided, wouldn't it be fun to scam these guys? And mm-hmm. but, but, but if they did all that, they would have had to write all this scenario out. And they would have had to train actors to deliver it. So it all seems like kind of a long shot as to how it how it occurred. But it did occur. And and again, uh, some of the extra details are in that Mysterious Universe article. But, um, yeah, yeah, it happened. That's crazy, man. It, the mystery will remain. But, uh, you know, sort of bringing us back to modern ufology, we, we had the Pentagon UFO story release. And there was this explosion of mainstream media coverage and now we're getting tons of new ufo investigation shows on tv uh guilty i'm i'm part of one of them and i'm very critical of all these you know scripted reality investigation shows even my own um but the fact of the matter is we're getting word out to the mainstream about ufos and we even had the navy announce they're updating their reevaluating their UFO protocol. So I got to ask you, having co-written the only book on hypothetical UFO disclosure, you know, and its impact, do you think, do you think we're living in a new age of UFO disclosure? I guess that's sort of the way I'd put it. Well, uh, the book you're referring to is called AD After Disclosure, and I co-wrote it with uh, Richard Dolan, who I think is still one of the best UFO historians uh, out there. And uh, yeah, we tried to, uh, with that book say, look, there's been 5,000 books written about UFOs trying to prove they're real. What if we write a book that says they are real? What happens when we all admit it to ourselves? Uh, and, and that's a pretty good definition, a broad definition of disclosure. It's when somehow people have talked openly enough about it that we all pretty much understand that UFOs are real, whether we know what they are or not, but we know that they're not ours. So are we in a new age of disclosure? Absolutely. I mean, I I don't think you could think anything other than that. Now, does that mean uh, it's all a seamless, wonderful transition? No, that's not happening. It's not like uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is going to call in the press and say, and by the way, here's everybody has a hard drive with four terabytes of UFO footage on it. Uh, (laughs) Go crazy. That's not happening. What is happening is, let me put it this way. Richard and I saw the world that we were living in then as the BC world, the before confirmation world, and the world after uh, we 
admit these things are real as the AD, the after disclosure world. So it's a continuum moving from BC to AD. We are we have moved further down that continuum toward the AD world. We're not there yet, but we seem to be getting closer. Uh, somebody somewhere is allowing some of this new information out there, and there must be some method in that madness. So I think we are moving in that world. Also, what has happened over the years is it used to be, if you think about it in the in the 1950s or 60s, if anyone was going to disclose anything, it pretty much had to be the government. They had all the goodies, and if anybody was going to talk, it was going to be them, and they didn't talk, so the rest of us were left out in the cold, like Stanton Friedman, knocking on the door, trying to tell the story of what was going on, but not really being on the inside. Today, we live in a different world. We all have our cell phones. We have our computers. We have the Internet. Uh, we have uh, access to incredible technology for surveillance and observation and so forth. So we are currently in the process of disclosing to ourselves uh, that, that this is a reality we have to deal with. So, yeah, we are in a new world. It's partly because of the technology that we're doing it ourselves. And I wouldn't be surprised if the fact that we are so actively and accurately starting to disclose some of this uh, behavior uh, amongst ourselves and to the rest of the world, that the people, you know, I'm not going to call these people bad guys. I don't know exactly who they are, but somebody has been involved in managing the UFO secret for up to seven decades. And the, the group of people who have been managing it have probably transitioned from military only to uh, a, more of a mixed use group right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are hawks and doves within those within that group on the topic of disclosure. Some of them saying we got to get this out now and some of them saying we can't. It's like in Dark Skies we had two main characters who represented the polarities. One of them was the head of Majestic 12. His position was the people can't handle the truth. And then we had a young guy who was being brought in and his position was the people have a right to know. And the the interesting thing about those two positions is they're probably both right. Uh, the people do have a right to know, and the people can't handle the truth. You know, but I think we are entering a a, a world where uh, we are going to have to deal with it regardless, whether we can handle it or whether we can't handle it. And um, just to conclude this, if you go back and and read books about flying saucers, going all the way back to uh, Kehoe's books in the fifties. He was always talking about the silence group, and for him, uh, disclosure was always right around the corner, mm -hmm. right? And now we've got Steve Bassett, uh, who predicts disclosure every year, whether it happens or not. <laughs> and I always say, I always tell Bassett's a friend of mine. I always tell him, "Well, you keep doing that, Steve, because one of these years you're going to be right." Yeah. And then he'll say, "See, I told you so." <laughs> but I do think that we are in a horizon where I think it will happen in my lifetime. And uh, I'm not as young as I used to be, so that's a statement. Uh, I think something else, people always like to quantify the when. And I, I, I would never presume to say next year is it, but I would look at the horizon. Here's what I think. Things are moving fast, and let's just put it in a real perspective. Whether you like Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump, doesn't matter for this one. If Donald Trump is reelected in 2020, Donald Trump is going to be the disclosure president. He, he might be even before 2020, although that's probably an outside chance. But I, I don't see this thing going on much longer than 2024, 25 at the outside. So that would make whoever our next president is the one on the standing on the job when when it hits. You touched on a really good point, Bryce. It is moving very fast. Everything in our world is moving so fast now. And with the UFO topic, I mean, some people are impatient when it comes to this whole To the Stars Academy and what they're doing. You know, give us, give us everything, give us everything. But, you know, sometimes these things take time and we have gotten a lot from this specific group. We've gotten videos that no one ever knew existed. We found out about a secret Pentagon program. So, you know, things uh, are moving Ryan, fast. Uh, that makes it I I think you're right. I'm I'm 
I try to stay up on this, but I don't think I quite understand. Why is there this resistance to the to the Stars Academy? What What's going on there? Yeah, the only thing I can, and it's very divisive, to be completely honest, within the UFO community, Bryce, and you and I both know, like, that's a very small percentage of the population. But when it comes down to it, it seems to me that a lot of the older guard, let's say, of ufology uh, perceive this group as just another, you know, aviary, this group that mm. we've heard about who who were full of government insiders or former former military, and they were pumping disinformation out to the UFO community and beyond about the UFO topic. So, and some of these members of that original quote-unquote aviary is uh, are members of To The Stars. So there's, hmm. there's a hesitancy, I think, from the older guard that, uh, you know, this isn't disclosure. This isn't anything well, new. We've seen this before. But for us younger people, this is our first time experiencing I this. I, I, I don't think I agree with that uh, analysis that they're making then because – these videos are not disinformation. They may be not the full video uh, or not the highest resolution, but I look at them and I say, these are pilots that are actually confused by yeah. what they're seeing. And, uh, you know, all these stories. So I don't know. I, I mean, look, I was initially skeptical that, you know, wait, Tom DeLonge's going to save the world. I, that, that struck me as odd. And and it still does, to be honest with you. Uh, and I was frustrated at the beginning where part of his plan was, hey, we're going to make, you know, movies and television series and get the truth out. Well, that's what I said back in, you know, the 90s on Dark Skies. And but the thing is, I was not I, I didn't actually know the truth. So I was just that was part of the dramatic thing. Mm -hmm. But Tom DeLonge is actually saying, I actually know the truth, but Instead of holding a news conference and telling you what the truth is, uh, as I know it, I'm going to, you know, talk around the edges about it and do a television show or do whatever. So I was actually pleasantly sur surprised that instead of trying to do his secret machines as a TV series, which he probably still is trying to do, I'm pleasantly surprised that Unidentified is uh, is not going to be a dramatic series, but is is a actual series about uh, the reality and i hope it's as good as it could be i'm i'm really praying for it to be successful me too man i mean having seen the first episode i was blown away and and these you know we we all know first episodes of shows introduce you to everything so basically we've got the new york times article to the stars forming this group this is all stuff us in the ufo community know and that's what the first episode is i will come out and say that I won't give away any spoilers, but it's our introduction to what Tom DeLonge is going to be disclosing to us. So if it's of any indication of that first episode, I have no doubt we're going to get some new stuff and we're going to get some really big bombshells. And the fact that it's going to be on the minds of people watching the History Channel, they're going to go talk to their friends and their neighbors about it. Uh, we are entering a new age of UFO discourse and I wish them all the luck. I, I'm still pro to the stars academy um you know i will eat crow if this all blows up in our face but i honestly don't think it's gonna i, I think it's a new age and like you said a new horizon so i'm excited I, I i am too uh and and the thing is it doesn't have to all be on the shoulders of tom DeLong or right. to the stars academy or lou elizondo or or any of these people there's a lot of uh disclosing that needs to be done and uh, not everybody uh, it doesn't have to come from one source uh, alone nor will it um, I think one of the other frustrations people have felt is Tom in some of his interviews has said some things where you just say whoa stop tell me what you mean by that yeah. right and and you like uh, I, I didn't hear him say it but I saw it quoted I don't I hope this is an accurate quote, but he was just saying something that somebody had told him why they haven't been disclosing. And he said, I couldn't sleep for three, three days. Well, yeah. okay. Why not? I want to know what, what you got told that you, that you couldn't sleep for three days. That's me. That's what I want to know. Now, maybe that's the windup of their show. And if that's how they want to uh, unspool it, that's fine. One of the things that I think all of us are a little concerned about is we don't know what's, what's really going on. We we don't we don't really know, and it might be not good. 
and that's certainly a possibility or it might be a mixed bag there might be some good and some very bad i don't i don't really know i i just think though uh we live in a time of as you put it rapid change and there there's just a sense i think out there in the zeitgeist that it's time to get this one over with and and uh, just a, kind of a concluding thought on that is I used to be the uh, 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 chairman, CEO of the Television Academy, and when I first got elected, they brought me in, and, and the guy who was the uh, the executive director there took me aside, and he goes, just one thing for you to remember, and I said, okay, and he said, all of us together are smarter than any one of us, you know, <laughs> and I just think that is so accurate. Uh, all of us are smarter, and so now it's time for us to prove it. And that means that those who are in the know need to tell a little more and be a little more transparent. Transparency is the thing. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I hold us all to, transparency. Absolutely. And I really hope we're going to get that within our lifetimes, Bryce. But I got to ask you, man, what comes next for you in your mm. work and uh, where can we find everything you're up to? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm 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 interacting a lot on uh, my Twitter feed, which is at Hollywood UFOs. So at Hollywood UFOs is a good place to, uh, to sort of pick my brain and for me to pick yours. So I do enjoy that. I'll tell you one thing from the, I, I've got a lot of non UFO things that I'm working on, but one of the most exciting that I, that I'm working on that is UFO related is the book AD after disclosure, which was written by uh, Richard Dolan and myself is being developed as a television series with myself and Brent Friedman, who is my partner on Dark Skies. Oh, so, wow. if that means anything to anybody, you're getting it all put together into one little package. And I'm very excited by what Brent and I are coming up with. We hope to be out on the market with it very soon uh, because I, I do think uh, it's time for us to pivot from thinking about the cover up. I mean, all. All stuff that you see historically has been, oh, well, people who know the truth aren't telling us the truth, and I have to go get the truth, and, and then you get the truth, but you can't keep it or tell it. I want to tell a different story. I want to tell the story about that starts with A.D. day one, you know, mm. from the moment where, where basically everybody on the planet goes, oh, wow, so this stuff's real? I want to tell that story. And so Brent and I have worked very hard to try to find a credible way in to do that. So that's what we're working on now. And, I, and, and of course, these other, the two feature films that we talked about earlier uh, take up a lot of time because, you know what, it's just not easy to sell anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't care what you're trying to sell, whether it's movies or television series or shoes. You know, you still got to get somebody who has money to give you the money to do what you want to do. So it's, it's never easy, uh, but – just to go back to our friend Stanton Friedman as we as we think about him, you just never give up. You just keep moving forward. And um, and I I look forward to a time very soon where we get done with talking about the cover up and we get started on talking about the phenomenon. Absolutely. I love that, Bryce. What comes next? That's what we should all be looking forward to. And you know that we're all in your corner when it comes to this. So I got to thank you for coming on again. I got to thank you for taking the time to reflect on how Stanton Friedman lived. And we can only hope he's, you know, now finding those answers we're all searching for. So thank you so much, Bryce. My pleasure. Uh, watch the skies and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again. That's it for this week's episode. Again, my special thanks to Bryce Sable for coming on. You could follow him on Twitter at Bryce Sable to keep up to date with all his work. Speaking of which, Bryce and I had a little debriefing session after the interview, where he briefly talked about some mysterious things that happened to him concerning the work of John Keel. One of them, straight up game chills. So to check out those stories, head on over to the Patreon page and listen to bonus episode number 35 with Bryce Sable. If you want to help the show continue, become a patron today and receive many rewards in return. To learn more and to contribute, visit patreon.com slash skies. We're also on Twitter at SummerSkies and Instagram at SummerSkiesPod. Our store is open at TeePublic. All different designs, cuts, sizes, and items. Head to teepublic.com and search for the Summer in the Skies store. 
please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on your Android apps, or wherever you listen to the show from. It really helps us gain visibility and find new listeners. I've got some new articles up over at the Rogue Planet website, including a review of the premiere episode of History Channel's new series, Unidentified, Inside America's UFO Investigation. Head on over to RoguePlanet.tv to read the review, and to listen to our sister podcast, Unknown, hosted by Jason McClellan. Thank you, as always, to the E1 Podcast Network, KGRA Radio, Rogue Planet, and to you for listening. I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.